0: West Virginia is a beautiful state, right? Amen, right? We live in an awesome state. And uh, Tori and I often talk about how uh, it's really an uh, uncovered gem. You know, People don't know about it. If people knew about the beauty, just the natural beauty and the history of our state, uh, I'm confident people across the world would come here to see this state. But we also have a lot of struggles. This area has been taken advantage of. It's worked hard and suffered great tragedy at times. And one thing that we're particularly familiar with is this state constantly struggles with addiction. And that's the heart problem we're going to talk about this morning is addiction. And just about every opioid and drug addiction stat you can think of, West Virginia is at the top. Deaths per 100,000 people, prescriptions per person, and so on. It's a huge mission field of people trapped in sorrow. But there are glimmers of hope, people joining the cause that have big ideas, and we look forward to a better future here in this wonderful state. But addiction is so much more than just drug addiction. Addiction is a heart problem that we each face. Everyone in this room faces the heart problem of addiction in some form or fashion, Now, we don't like to use those terms, though, right? We'd only like to use the word addict for the big stuff, like alcoholism or drug addiction or pornography. But we as a society are addicted to all sorts of stuff, big and little. One Tori and I often feel guilty about is our screen time, right? Both for us and our kids. Uh, We should be able to eat dinner without constantly checking our phone or watching a show or something like that. We know it's a problem, but sometimes the stress level is high and uh, you had a rough day and it's so much easier just to hand your kid a phone than to deal, right? And these things creep into our lives. And we're, as a city, we're well aware that big addictions are a real and a devastating problem, but we cannot overlook small addictions either. Solomon tells us that little foxes can spoil the vine. What that means is that little, problem, little habits, little sins can cause big problems in our lives. E.G. White puts it this way. He says it's one of Satan's most successful devices to lead men to the commission of little sins. To blind the mind to the dangers of little indulgences, little digressions from the plainly stated requirements of God. Many who shrink with horror, horror from some great transgressions are led to look upon little sin in, uh, in little matters as of trifling consequences. But those little sins eat out the life of godliness in the soul. See, the little things are sneaky because they're easy for us to brush under the rug and ignore, but they can cause real damage. Now, addiction is simply anything that we cannot live without. When we can't live without something, we become enslaved to it. It's a habit that we can't break. It's a person that we can't separate from. It's a pattern that we can't change. And ultimately, it's harmful and left unchecked. It can cause lasting damage. Now, addiction promises us something, but in the end, it leaves us empty and more worse for the wear. And years can be wasted continuing to place our hope in something that doesn't deliver. And we can come to ourselves at time and look around and say, surely this is the bottom. And we can catch a breath and battle back. But then we relapse and fall into those same patterns again and sink to a new bottom. Alcohol meth, TV, cake, romance, soda, money, Amazon, success, work, adrenaline, winning, self-harm, people, attention. Addiction is anything that we can't live without. We seek to find happiness and worth and purpose and value in these things, but ultimately they can only be found in our creator. You may have already started justifying these things in your head. God's bringing stuff up and you're like, but this is what happened to me. This is why I am that way. This is why. And I can stop whenever I want to. For many of us, the biggest thing we struggle with is addiction to people's approval. Approval. And thinking constantly about what everyone else thinks about us. And we say things like, I don't care what they think. But we do. And the louder uh, louder we say it, the more sometimes we do. Some of us want to be unique and different, but in the same exact way that other people are unique and different. See, when we constantly uh, just strive to be accepted. And look, we all want to be accepted. None of us want to feel alone. But it, it becomes a problem and an addiction for us when we focus on it so much. And when we uh, go on the internet, right, we go on social media and we check our posts uh, to see how many likes that we've got. Or, uh, we sure that we, or we make sure that the pose is just right and the filter is the perfect filter. And we make sure that we don't look at the camera because we want to give the impression that we don't care. But we do care. And all this is so bad for our mental health. Constantly comparing ourselves to other people and caring so much about the approval of others is actually so bad that a lot of the social media uh, platforms are beginning to experiment with removing the like button altogether. And this is uh, what Instagram uh, press release said. They said they want to remove the like uh, like button and they hope this test will remove pressure of how many likes a post will receive, so you can focus on sharing things that you love. And the aim is to reduce anxiety and social comparison. If we're honest, we are addicted to other people's approval. We're addicted to seeing what other people are doing, and we come away hurt that we didn't get invited, or hurt that we can't do that, or we don't have the resources to do those things. And we look at other people's lives and we compare ourselves to them, and then we put on a a mask and a filter to make sure that we live up to the standard as well. And if we're honest, we're all addicted to approval. And it's empty, and it leaves us far worse for the the wear. Addiction underneath is always covering some type of pain. Addiction is always trying to fill, fill some type of emptiness inside of us or someone rejected me, or someone said that I wasn't good enough, or someone hurt me, I feel worthless, I feel like I have no value. And whatever our addiction is, it promises to make us feel better and to give us some relief and help us cope. But we need to look past that symptom and examine the cause. And we need to remember and realize that every Longing inside of us is actually a longing for God. You might say, well, what I'm longing for is some uh, some type of sin or some type of uh, indiscretion or wickedness. But deep underneath that is actually a longing for something only God can fill. So when we're overwhelmed with guilt or stress, so we go and get drunk and try and forget what we are really seeking is the comfort and forgiveness and peace that can only be found in God. When we shoot up and to feel a rush and to feel alive, that is just a dim echo of our real desire for joy and an abundant life that can only be found in our Savior. The love that we seek on a computer screen or in the back seat of a car is just a cheap counterfeit of the love that God wants us to feel. The acceptance that we seek from the approval of others is ultimately uh, truly just a, uh, a desire to be fulfilled by the acceptance that we have in our maker. Success, power, stuff, work. These are all empty longings that are trying to point you to the real answer. God told Moses in the Old Testament, he told them to go to the people of Israel when they were in captivity. And Moses said, well, who should I say sent me? And God says, tell them, I am sent you. It's, such a, it's kind of a, a weird name to call yourself, right? I am. But John, uh, in John chapter 5, verse 58, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus went on to say, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I am the vine. I am the shepherd. I am the door. I am the bread of life. I am the living water. I am the light. I am the beginning and the end. In addiction, you're searching for something to fill that emptiness, and you already know that thing that you're addicted to isn't the answer, and Jesus stands before you today and says, I am. You've heard it said that we're all born with a God-shaped hole in our heart that only a relationship with God can fill. See, the secret to taking steps towards overcoming our addiction, is realizing that we are helpless to quench our emptiness. We can't solve this problem. And the key is not trying harder and being better. It's realizing that we are weak, but by God's grace we can overcome. And it's replacing our addiction uh, to lesser things with a love and addiction to Jesus not about trying harder it's about loving jesus more deciding that jesus is our only hope and that we need to cling to him for the rest of our life the heart problem of addiction just like the heart problem of anxiety must be fought alongside other people because addiction wins in isolation addiction wins in isolation Proverbs 18.1 says this, says whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. If we isolate ourselves, we will follow after our passions, our wants, and our desires. And there's a problem with that. The Bible says our heart is deceitful. Our heart is a liar, and it's desperately wicked who can know it. So if we isolate ourselves, our voice will be the only voice that is speaking into our lives, and we're going to end up hurt and struggling and broken. We need to do this together. You need to find a pack of people that will support you and be honest and open with you. You need accountability because you were not made to walk alone. 1 Corinthians 15, says, Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. You know, the opposite is also true. Good company develops good morals. Proverbs uh, 27, 17 says, Iron sharpeneth iron, and one man sharpens another man. We need people in our lives. Proverbs 13, 20 says, Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Show me your friends, and I'll show you where you're going. And this is why life groups are so important. It shouldn't just be a place to learn facts, but a place that uh, you can be vulnerable, open, and lean on each other, pushing each other to do what is right. He might say, Brother Phil, you talk so much about these connections. You talk so much about having deep, intimate relationships with other Christians, about other followers of Christ, because that's what church is. That's why I talk about it so much because that's the formula that God put in his word. It's not that we would go and sit in a room and shake hands and that's it and then leave and then never talk to each other, never pray for each other, never encourage each other and exhort each other and sometimes rebuke each other. The Bible set this strategy up. We were made to walk this life together. And so many of these heart problems that we've talked about could be solved if you had somebody in your life to say, Hey, I love you, but what you're doing isn't okay. It's not right. Iron sharpeneth iron. One man sharpens another. Whoever walks with wise people becomes wise. Galatians 6, 1 says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watching yourself, lest you also would be tempted. We have a responsibility. I can't remember. There was an organization, I think it was a military organization, that said this. I can't remember if it was the army or somebody, and this is just off the top of my head, but they had a slogan that says, I am my brother's keeper. Anybody remember what that was? Remember back in the day, right, you know, Cain uh, killed Abel and, and God asked him about it. He said, I, that's, how should I know where my brother is? It's not my problem. I'm not my brother's keeper. We need to look at this life like that. When someone in our church fails and falls, it is our responsibility to come around that person, not just to throw them to the wolves. <laughs> Growing up, my uh, pastor always used to say, uh, we are the only group of uh, people that shoot their own wounded right? We wound them sometimes, and then we shoot them because they're wounded. We got to be there for each other. Illis is leaving. (laughs) Uh, I'm never going to stop telling that joke. You need people in your life that will pick you back up when you fall, when you uh, come to a place where you are broken, people that can be honest with you. That will still stick by you, not just stand back and critique you. I heard it said there's a lot of difference between a critic and a coach. A critic sits back and has no skin in the game. Right, They just pick you apart and they're a little bit almost happy when you fail because it means that they're smart. And then he find something wrong with you, it makes them look like a better critic. But a coach is someone that walks by you and their success is your success. And when you get it wrong, it looks bad on them, so they make sure that they care enough about you that they will walk by you. But too often we stand back and we criticize each other instead of coming alongside and say, I want you to succeed and I love you. I'm not just going to get mad at you when you do something I don't want you to do. Instead, I'm going to walk through you with this and show you how you could do better. And I'm going to celebrate when you do better. We need these people in our life. God intended us to have these deep relationships with brothers and sisters in Christ. How do we know that? We know that because Jesus had those close relationships. Paul had those close relationships. David had Jonathan. All through this Bible, the great men of God had other people walking beside them. You can't do this alone. There's another place that it underutilized by our church. And that is celebrate recovery. Can I get an amen? amen, Brother Lou? Brother Lou's so excited. But look, we need to stop categorizing our problems. I've talked to some of you, and you've talked to me, and we wanted to pray together. And I've been thinking the whole time you need celebrate recovery. You need to walk through this with somebody. You need somebody that will, uh, you can sit around a room and share what's going on with your life. Look, if you've got a food addiction, you need Celebrate Recovery. If you're codependent on people, you rely on others too much, you need Celebrate Recovery. If you're grieving, you need Celebrate Recovery. If you have abuse in your background, you need Celebrate Recovery. This isn't just a ministry for outside the church. Stop looking at it like that. This is a ministry for you. This is part of us. You need it. We need it. And you need to see not only that, You're never going to see a more encouraging time than when you come to a chip night and see a bunch of people that have victory over their addictions. And you see, hey, God worked in their life. He can work in my life too. And when you hear that someone has 20 years of addiction over alcoholism or codependency or anger issues, there's something stirring about that. And the problem with this, what we're doing right now, is there might be those victories in this room right now, but we don't ever talk about it. We just act like we're better now and we're fixed we were not made to walk alone we can't do this alone and that's awesome that you don't struggle with drugs but that doesn't mean you don't struggle we have to step out and choose to connect with people and stop looking at our problems like they are less serious than other people's problems the Me lovato is a, a two-time grammy-nominated musician and she's sold millions of albums. To many, she would seem to have everything. Money, beauty, fame, friends, fans. But on July 2018, on the 24th, she was rushed to the hospital after overdosing on oxycotton laced with fentanyl. She was revived with Narcan. And she'd been struggling for years with depression and addiction, and she'd been suffering in silence. Just a few weeks ago, she sang her new song, Anyone, at the Grammys. This was her first time on stage since her overdose. I'm going to read you these words this morning. She said, I tried to talk to my piano. I tried to talk to my guitar. I talked to my imagination. I confided in alcohol. I tried and tried and tried some more. I told secrets till my voice was sore. Tired of empty conversation because no one hears me anymore a hundred million stories, a hundred million songs. I feel stupid when I sing, no one's listening to me. Nobody's listening. I talk to the shooting stars, but they always get it wrong. I feel stupid when I pray. So why am I praying anyway, if no one's listening? Anyone, please send me anyone. Lord, is there anyone? I need someone. Anyone, please send me anyone. Lord, is there anyone? I need someone. There are people in this room right now that are suffering silently and they're praying those same words. Anyone, God, please send anyone. I need someone, anyone. And they're stuck and they're without hope and they're struggling. And we need each other to fight this heart problem of addiction. We need people that will remind us that the answer isn't at the bottom of a bottle. It isn't in a needle. It isn't in a paycheck. It isn't in a promotion. The answer isn't on a beach or on a resort. It's not in the acceptance or approval in people. Someone in this room is desperately seeking for the answer to their uh, longings. And Jesus is standing before them today saying, I am Whatever you are longing for, I am. In order to fight the heart problem of addiction, we need to realize that every longing we have is ultimately a longing for God. And we got to remember that we cannot do this alone. We are better together. Someone in this room is struggling with heart problems of addiction, little or big. And they're relying on something other than God and they're hopeless right now. Someone in this room is looking for anyone. How God set this whole thing up is that anyone is you. Very heads bowed and eyes closed. Band's going to come. We need to stop categorizing people as good people and bad people and just realize we're all struggling. My addiction might be worse than your addiction or or different than your addiction. But anything we run to when we have problems is our addiction. If you're running to anything else other than God, that's what you're relying on for comfort and hope and acceptance That's why the Bible says, be not drunk with wine where is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. It's trying to show us there when we rely and depend on something to give us comfort, to ease our worries and our uh, brain, to let it rest for a little while, whether it's food, whether it's people, whether it's shopping, that is what we are addicted to. And you can't do this alone. You need people to keep you accountable. And then we need to look around the room. We need to look people in the eyes. We need to see that they're a person. They're not just players in this show that revolves around us, they are people. And underneath their smile and underneath their mask, they're praying that prayer Lord, send me anyone. God, I need someone. God, I wish someone would ask me how I'm really doing and not just listen to that answer fine when I spout that out. I wish someone would wrap their arm around me and say they're praying for me, that they loved me and that they cared about me. There might be a person in here that's already planning on making a bad decision. They've got it set. It's gonna happen tonight. It's gonna happen in three days. If they're making plans already. And they come into this room one last time. Find some hope. Find some answers. This whole thing called church is not for us. It's for us to think about other people. Why? Because that's how God made us to love our neighbor. Put others before ourselves, not care so much about our opinion, about what we think, that we just gotta get it out. But instead, we begin to look around the room and say, God, who can I help? God, who today needs me? Or maybe you're that person that needs that help. You gotta do something brave. You've got to admit it. First, Admit that what you're really looking for is a a way to fill the emptiness inside you and that the answer is the God of the universe, that your creator made you to need him. Then secondly, you have to be brave enough to say, hey, I need help. Struggling. Maybe that means you pull someone to the side even during this invitation time. Say, will you come and pray for me? Pastor Phil, they're automatically going to think I have the worst addiction in the world. If you really care about making progress, those things about what other people think are not going to matter so much to you. Maybe that means this week on Tuesday, you come to celebrate recovery for the first time. Maybe that means today, later on after the service, you go to a life group for the first time. You take those steps To make sure that you're not allowing addiction to win in isolation common military strategy that the devil loves to use is divide and conquer the bible says that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church we need each other every head bowed and eyes closed take some time to search our heart ask god what we're relying on rather than him then ask god who do you want me to reach out to who can i be anyone to altar's open if you want to come and use it let's pray